Well, welcome back to our series in the book of Revelation. Uh, we've been going through this for a couple of months now, and tonight we actually start the beginning of the end. We're going to look at the fall of Babylon of the next two weeks, and then the final battle, and then the new creation to come. Now, if you cast your minds back to last week, we had Stu come in and explain to us there's a bunch of God's people singing the songs of Moses and recalling, in some part, the, the plagues of the Old Testament in times of Exodus. And we also saw seven angels come out and pour out bowls of wrath on the earth. We also read that this was the last of the sevens, and so it's going to be all tied up now. Before we head into today's passage, I want you to recall a time when your head was a bit hazy, when you couldn't quite think straight. Uh, maybe it was when you were sick and you had a head cold and you just weren't seeing things straight, weren't, weren't thinking straight. Or maybe cast your minds back to when you had babies and you had to wake up in the middle of the night and it was just, you just couldn't quite concentrate, you just didn't know what you are doing, you didn't know how to swaddle a baby. Uh, maybe it was just that sort of thing. Or maybe it was even, and I'm sure nothing, no one has done this here, but you, you had a bit too much to drink and you're a bit tipsy, you're a bit drunk and just, things are just in a little bit of a haze. Well, tonight's passage actually tells us that the world is actually in that kind of a haze. It can't see straight. It can't see reality for what it is. And part of that is due to an intelligent, malevolent force. And we'll meet this force tonight. Now tonight, the message for those who are here visiting will be, wake up from that haze. See the reality that God has set forth, because that is a reality that's going to last. And for those of us who already have seen beyond the haze, the message is to keep alert. Don't go back to don't sleep. Don't go back into that haze. Keep alert, live for that, because this time and the things that we see now will pass away soon. Now, tonight's passage, we actually get to see three things. It's very scary, but a little bit funny. Uh, what we see is the beauty and the beast. Uh, the first thing is the beauty, then we see a beast, and then we see two battles. Right? Beauty, beast, and battle. Really simple, BBB, beauty, beast, and battle. Okay, so let's head to the first thing. The beauty, and you'll find her in verses 1 through to 7. So... As always, one eyeball on me and one eyeball on your Bibles. What you need to see about the woman is, first of all, this beauty is that she is actually attractive. Uh, all the kings of the earth want to be with her. It, she's like, you know, like a high-class call girl. It's a, all the CEOs, all the shards, all the, all the princes, all the, they, they want to be with her. And it's not just her, it's actually also the people of the earth. They're drunk, they're intoxicated with her wine and having a great time. This beauty offers pleasure to the world, and people are lapping it up. They're enjoying it. This beauty also is rich. This, she's dressed in scarlet. She's dressed in purple, the color of royalty. She's got gold, and she's got pearls all hanging off her. She's got a golden cup in her hand. She's rich, and she offers riches to the world who follows her. And the last thing you have to know about this girl, this beauty, is that her name is Baby, Baby, Baby Long. Her name is Babylon. And you see, well, what's, what's with the name Babylon? We've sort of heard it before, even in the book of Revelations, but I'm sure we've heard it in the Bible many times. Well, let me cast your minds back all the way to Genesis, and we see a place called Babel, where God actually said, you know, you guys need to scatter the earth and look after the earth and tend to the earth. But the people of, God said, no, the people of the earth said, no, we're going to defy God. We are not going to scatter. We're going to gather. Instead, we're going to build a tower, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God says, No. So he confuses their language and scatters them anyway. They're defiant to God, but God wins. Later on, in the book of Isaiah and books like that, we see that this town, Babel, becomes a city of Babylon, an empire of Babylon, and they oppress God's people, in particular the southern kingdom of Judah. 
They make war against her, they exile her, and they bring her into Babylon. And there they suffer for about 70-odd years until the Persians knock over the Babylonians and the people of God are set free. Babylon is a place where God's people are being oppressed. And all the way here in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Babylon is still doing it to the people of God. You see, Babylon, she's actually drunk, but not on her own wine, the wine that the world is intoxicated with. She's drunk with the blood of those who bore testament to Jesus. She's causing this oppression to Christians. She's getting them killed. That's what Babylon's like. Now, if you're a first-century Christian, you'd know very well the attractiveness of the world, which is what Babylon represents. The world is a, is a fantastic place. It's offering them so much. It, it offers them sex with temple prostitutes and just a comfortable life. If you just bow down to those false gods, if you just bow down to Caesar, you can have a comfortable life, a life without persecution. The comfort is there. The pleasure is there for you to take. The first century Christians would have seen that. They would have also seen that the, the world offers riches. If they just join those trade unions that we talked about in the, the seven, the seven lamps, lamps in the, the seven towns, if they just join those trade unions, if they just took those oaths, if they just worshipped those, uh, those gods, then they could have a successful career and riches, as we saw in some of those towns where they had black wool industry and eye ointment industries. You could be rich and have a good life. But the message here to the first century Christians is, don't forget, the world also oppresses the people of God. So therefore, you've seen past the haze. Don't fall asleep again. Don't get drunk on her wine again. You've seen a new reality. Stay alert. Hold on to that truth and live for that truth. Now come forward about 2,000 years to us today, and our world is quite similar to the world back then, isn't it? I mean, the world now also offers us very pleasurable things. Uh, we can pleasurable things, and also offers us riches. We can live fun and li- li- comfortable lives. We can be all we can be. We can be self-actualized. We can enter into this cycle of endless upgrades. We can upgrade our car. We can upgrade our kitchens. We can upgrade our houses. We can upgrade our holidays. We can upgrade our dining experiences. The world offers all that to us. And there's nothing wrong with those things per se. But having said that, we want to use all of those things to thank God and to honor God. But I think a lot of us, we use God to get those things. We pray to God to give us those careers, those those luxuries in life. Our call today is to use stuff to honor God, not use God to get stuff. Now, I have a friend. uh, He was uh, quite a talented um, doctor and was heading into emergency medicine. And then he was warned off by a few of his older colleagues, saying, well, you know, this is a pretty tough, tough life because you're always on a roster, and sometimes those rosters will call you away from a small group, away from church, and it will stop you from serving at church because you just can't put down your name for anything because you'll, you never really know when you're going to be rostered on. But he said, you know what, I think, I think God's really put this on my heart, and um, I really want to serve the community and serve God in this way. And he was genuine about it. So he, he got into this course, he got into the, the program, and sure enough, different rosters came up, and yes, he had to skip small groups sometimes, he had to skip church at other times, and, and yes, he's serving at church, had people pulled back. So we had a bit of a chat, and he said, don't worry about it, it's okay, I know, I know what's happening, uh, but you know, that's just because I'm a junior doctor, but once I've earned a few stripes, then I can start, making, uh, I can start make, calling a few shots on when I'm rostered on, I'll be okay then. And so I said, like, okay, sure, fair enough. Come forward a few years, and he is a few rungs off the bottom. I said, but he's, he was just 
very, very infrequently at church. And also his health wasn't so well, so good as well. Uh, he, one night he almost crashed his car inside the parking lot of Royal North Shore Hospital just because he was just so tired from the shifts that he's had. And so he managed to make it to small group one night and we had a bit of a chat afterwards after everyone else had gone home. And I said to him, look, look, dude, you know, um, I'm your friend, I'm your brother, I'm your pastor and this, this career is just not good for you. You know, you know that, you can see that, can't you? And he said, yeah, you know, I can see that. It's, it's not helping with my home situation. It's not helping with my church situation. Uh, it's just not good for me. And I said, well, do you think you have to sort of quit this line of medicine and then go and do another line of medicine? And he just, and he just looked at me and said, yeah, that would be the wise thing to do. But I've put too much into this now. I can't go back to be a junior doctor and train for another specialty. I have to keep going on. And so he made that decision to keep going on. And from that time, very few of us at church had actually seen him again. And the few of us who've kept up with him uh, we have heard that he doesn't go to church very often at all, and his spiritual life is in a bit, of a, a bit of a black hole. Now, I'm not saying that Christians can't take, um, can't take shift work, and I'm not saying Christians can't be an emergency department doctors. Everyone is different. But for this particular guy, he, he just wasn't wired up to serve in that way and to actually be faithful to God in all areas of his life. And so therefore, it actually affected him. And because he's in this haze of he has to... He has to achieve this thing, this career. He has to serve the community in this way. He had forgotten sight of God, the greater reality of God. And he had dipped back in to the drunkenness, in the haze. And that's kind of where he still is. Now, when we talk to people like this, we need to be very careful. We need to be, we need to be not judgmental at all, but we do need to, to be with, walking with them and encouraging them. But at the point when we've been humbly chatting with them and know their full story, we do need to say, you know what, this might not be the best thing for you. Uh, come let me help you in this case, and please do help me with my other struggles with God as well. But in this particular case, this guy had lost sight of the reality of God and just got back into the haze. And the call for him and the call for us is now that we've seen the truth, the reality, don't go back into the haze. Well, <clears throat> the next thing that we see tonight is actually the beast. And we'll see the beast, it's pretty scary looking, see? Uh, in eight, verses 8 through to 13. Now, this beast is kind of funny. The first thing we hear about this beast is that he is a beast who once was, is not, and is to come. Once was, is not, and is to come. And that kind of sounds a bit familiar to us because when we look at Revelation chapter 1, we see that God once was, is, and is to come. So this guy looks a bit like God. He sounds a bit like God, but he's not God. He's a counterfeit God. God was, and is, and is to come. This guy was, and is not, and is to come. He's a counterfeit God. But you have to watch out for counterfeits because they look a little bit like God sometimes. The second thing we hear about this beast is that he's got seven heads. That's a really complicated section, as you heard it read. He has seven heads, but these seven heads were actually seven hills. What's going on there is it referring to one of the suburbs in Sydney's west, the seven hills. Well, no, it's not talking about seven hills in Sydney. It's actually talking about Rome, probably, because Rome was a city built on seven hills. But then the, the picture changes almost immediately. He says the seven hills are actually seven kings. Five fallen, one is, and one is to come. So what's going on there? Well, possibly the five fallen are the previous emperors of Rome, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. Possibly the one who is is Vespasian, and possibly the one who come is Titus. Possibly. But then the picture changes because there's actually an eighth king who was a part of the seven, but actually is the beast himself. So what's going on here? Well, there's an ancient uh, myth that said Nero, 
who was one of the emperors, who was particularly bad to Christians, who killed himself, would one day come back from the dead. Nero redivivus, in other words, Nero recycled or Nero reborn. And they're expecting Nero to come back and lead the Roman Empire. Now, four guys actually pretended to be this Nero recycled, and they all got killed. Right? And so pretty much what we see is a picture of earthly governmental power. Emperors, senates, armies, the whole lot. But then after that we see, <clears throat> there's another thing that these, this beast had, and it's had, the beast has got ten horns. And these are ten kings who aren't yet, but will come, but will only last for an hour, and their job is just to give the power to the beast. Now what's going on here? Uh, back in, in the, the 90s, they were wondering if this was the economic, European economic community. So it was about 10 countries at a time, but they quickly morphed into the EU, which then had 12 countries, and then now, of course, it's got 28 countries, and of course, now it's about to be 27 because Brexit's about to kick in. And so, well, you know, what is, is, it, is it the EU? I don't know. Is it, is it um, the, British, the British Commonwealth? Is it the Americans? Is it the USSR? Is it China? Well, it's, it's kind of none of those and all of those. It's just these world powers who've set themselves up against God, and they're exerting power on the people telling them not to worship the real God and not to talk about the real God. And the first century Christian knew well this power. We've been reading about it all through this series on Revelation. We have everything from losing your job or not being able to get a job in the first place to actually being taken in for questioning and tortured and asked if you're a Christian and if you are, they're going to kill you to actually being killed, being martyred for God. And so the... The, the immediate temptation for the first century Christian is to pull back and say, I'm not going to be so public about my Christianity, I might even give up my Christianity because this power is so overwhelming. And the encouragement for them is, don't. You've seen the reality above the haze. You know God. Hold on to God. Hold on to your belief in him, his love for him. Hold on to his love for people. And don't shrink back at this time, but come forward and share the love of God, the truths of God, the, ju- the justice of God to the people around you. And 2,000 years later, the message for us is the same. Now, we don't live in a world where the government actually directly oppresses us of being Christians. Praise God for that. Who knows, it might happen in the future, but right now we don't. But having said that, we also suffer from some sort of soft power, if you like, the power of political correctness, the power of uh, a public opinion, which makes us want to sort of pull back a bit and just sort of hide a bit. Um, I was recently uh, at my ongoing professional development for marrying people. I've married lots of people in my life. I mean, I mean I've performed marriage ceremonies lots of people in my life. I always say, oh, I've married lots of women in my life, and people go, oh, and go I've married lots of men in my life. Oh, no, okay, I, I, just marry, I just perform marriage ceremonies for people. And I was at this thing, and every year we have to do this course, and it's usually useless. But this year was actually quite interesting because we had the law change for same-sex marriage. And inside this classroom, the instructor just got up and said, oh, you know, this year we have a change in the marriage law, now we can have same-sex marriage. And the whole room erupted, go, yes, you know, finally. Uh, and then, so there was me and there's another guy who's a pastor, and we're like, okay, well, yeah, just be quiet. And then uh, eventually, and so the whole presentation was pretty much, uh, you know, the law has changed, Australia has actually arrived of age now, it's fantastic, but you know what? The law also allows for, at the moment, a bunch of people who can actually just perform heterosexual marriages. But don't worry about them, they're the little crazies in the back of the room, but we're not going to say anything bad about them, but you know, they're, they're just, they're just, let, them, let the children play in the sandpit when the adults can actually see the reality of the world. That was kind of the message of the whole day. And so for us, it was like, oh, what do we do? Do we say something about it or not? And we were a little bit intimidated by that. But that's the kind of thing that's going on. There's no direct government attack on Christianity, but all these soft things 
sort of pressure us into not loving the world with God's truth. And the call for us today is the same. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is the time to love the world with God's truth, with God's love, with God's justice. Well, the last thing is the battles. And we battles we read about in verses 14 through to 18. So come along with me to verses 14. And it says this. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are the peoples, the multitudes, and nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Well, what we see here is two battles occurring. The first battle is the beauty and the beast and the ten kings and all the armies and all the senates and all the powers of the world are arrayed against the lamb. They go to war against the lamb. And you sort of expect with that kind of power on one side and the lamb on the other, the lamb would lose. It wasn't so. A long time ago, I used to play a computer game called Counter-Strike. It's one of these games where you just go around shooting people. It's pretty um, un- unhealthy for the young minds. But yeah, that's what we used to play. Um, and one day after church uh, dinner, there was, it was a long weekend. We thought, what are we going to do now? And some guy said, well, let's go to the internet cafe and play Counter-Strike. And I said, yeah, I love Counter-Strike. And so one guy said to me, oh, really? How long have you played for? And I said, well, you know, I've only played five times. You know, so when I said I played Counter-Strike, it was pretty gen- generous to me. I've only played five times. And the guy just looked at me and said, oh, you don't want to play me. And he just changed topics, you know, and he talked about something else. And I thought, oh, how rude. But then later on I found out from some people that this guy was actually, he actually came runner-up in the Australasian Counter-Strike Championships or whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, you know. And so it wouldn't matter how well I played, me playing five games. I couldn't beat him because of who he was. He was a runner-up to the Australasian Counter-Strike Championship. And it's like this with the lamb, with the beauty and the beast and their, their hordes, their minions. They're going up against the lamb. And just like we saw last week with Armageddon, there's no battle. It's over. The lamb just overcomes them. And why? Because the lamb is the king of kings and the lord of lords. You can't beat the king and king and lord of lords, no matter what big, what, how, size your arm, how big your army is. So they're just defeated straight away. And so that battle's finished. And now, when that battle finishes, there's a second battle. And the second battle is now between the bad guys, right? The beauty versus the beast. You know, it's kind of like in a game at, at sports, you know, you're whatever you win, and you say, yeah, we're all good, we're the champions. But when you lose, what happens? Well, we lost because you didn't play your part. I play my part, you didn't play your part, and you start bickering. And that's kind of what happens here. They start fighting each other. And after a while, the beast actually wins. The beast actually wins. But why is the beast, has the beast won? It's not because the beast is better than the beauty, but if you look at that verse again, it's because God put it in their hearts. It's because God let them give the power to the beast, the people of the world. And it's because God's given the beast this power to achieve his purpose. And it's only going to be for a little while, because tonight we see that the beauty is destroyed, 
But in two weeks' time, in chapter 19, we see the beast himself, having served his purpose, is destroyed. You see, God is in total control of a chessboard. It's like um, um, my my five-year-old, who was four years old before Theo, he used to play Chinese chess against his granddad. And he'd come back and he'd say, oh, you know, I, 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 played, I played grandpa and, you know, I won. I said, what? You beat your grandfather? Is that true? Yes, yeah, I won. And he's done it a few times. I thought, wow, I might have a prodigy on my hands here. And so one night I was actually looking at my, my, grand, my, my son play his, his grandfather. I was looking at what's going on and pretty much the granddad was saying, oh, look, you can move this to there or you can move that to there. And then he'd make a move and he'd say, oh, are you sure about that move? You know, maybe you should do that instead. And so after all this, he won, right? But he didn't win. The grandpa was always in control of the chessboard. And it's like this with, with God. You see, sometimes we look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We see all these angels with bowls. We see this destruction on the earth. And we say, who's going to win? God's kind of winning sometimes. The devil's kind of winning other times. Who's going to win? And this part of the Bible says to us, of course God's going to win. The Bible doesn't even have a category of what we're talking about. God is the one manipulating the whole chessboard. There is no point in time when the forces of evil are even close to winning. And he gives them the ability to fight each other. He gives the, the beast power, and he's going to take the beast power away in two chapters' time. He is always in control. And the, news, the first century Christians were reminded, this feels pretty bad. There's the lure of the world and also the power of the government, but your God is in control. You can't beat him. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And also he's got everything mapped out on the chessboard. So just trust, because that day will come. Well, we've seen quite a lot tonight, haven't we? We've seen that the world, back in their day and also in our day, can offer us pleasures and can offer us riches. The world back in their day, and so less so in our day, but maybe in a soft form, can actually pressure us with power to live in the haze and not see the reality of God's rule. And we've also seen that at the end of this time, there will be the battles. They will be defeated. And also, evil will collapse in on itself. And the reminder for us today, if you're not, if you're not a visitor to church, you're not used to this church thing, is, hey, now you've seen the reality. You can get out of this haze, see reality, keep coming to church, keep learning about this reality that you just read about in part tonight, keep talking to people about this, because you want to wake up. And if you are already a Christian, then the, the, the reminder is, don't go back to sleep. Don't get drunk again on Babylon's wine. Stay alert. Keep your head above the haze. Keep living for Jesus. Keep loving the world by sharing with them the truth of God, the love of God, the justice of God. You see, because one day, all of our dearest friends and family who are not yet Christians will be on the side of a beast and the beauty, and there will be a reckoning. And so we, before that day comes, we want to do everything in our power to share the love and truth of Jesus with them. A couple of weeks, uh, we heard from an old English pastor called Spurgeon, and he said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exhortations, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Our job is to keep honouring Jesus with our lives and to keep warning and praying for those who haven't found him yet. Amen.